Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. Well, we're going to be here in uh, Philippians chapter number one, and we're going to finish up uh, Philippians one here this morning. And as uh, we approach these uh, verses here today, found in uh, verses uh, 27 through 30, um, I'd like to ask you a question. Uh, If you are a believer, meaning you know Christ as your Savior, um, what are you living for? What What is your purpose and your calling in life? What has God given you to do as a believer in Christ? And, uh... You know, if you can remember uh, what we've been spinning on past these uh, last past three weeks, uh, particularly what uh, Paul's motto is or his mantra, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Uh, Paul is now going to just give us a little bit more of what that actually means for me to live as Christ. And uh, he's going to say it here for us uh, really in uh, verse number 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what should really be summing up our lives. And, uh, you know, this is supposed to be the calling and the purpose of every believer in Christ, that our lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ, the gospel that has saved us, the gospel that has redeemed us, the gospel that has brought us back from dead works to serve the living God. Uh, That is what uh, we've been called to do. And uh, so today, what I'd like for you to take away with you is this. Know what your calling is and live for Christ. Know what your calling is and live for Christ. For Christ. So let's take a look at our uh, text here uh, this morning, beginning verse number 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if we're going to have to remember what our calling is, first of all, we need to make our lives worthy of the gospel. Notice Paul's first word here in verse 27, only, only. There's a, there's a distinct emphasis there. Only, only let your life be worthy of the gospel. To walk worthy of the Lord was Paul's major goal that he had in life. In fact, that's what he said in Philippians 1.20, for me to live is Christ. And he talked about exalting God, whether it be in his body or by death. Whether I live or whether I die, that Christ would be exalted and magnified in my life. Later in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, 
Paul says this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so he reveals his deepest passion to know Christ, to know what God has given him to do. And so from what we know, as Paul writes to these believers, they too were in a struggle and conflict, and Paul wants them to walk worthily of the gospel of Christ. But what does that mean, to live a life worthy of the gospel? What does that mean? See, if we are to live for Christ, then we must know what our calling is, and that is to live a life worthy of the gospel. As recipients of the gospel, the good news of Christ's life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection for the sins of the world, we have a responsibility to it. I want you to think about that. What did you contribute to your salvation? Absolutely nothing. God did it all. He brought you to an understanding of the gospel. He revealed to you your lost condition. He showed you how lost and horrible of a wretch that you really are. He granted you the faith to believe. He granted you the ability to repent and believe. We contribute absolutely nothing to salvation. And Paul says, I want you to walk worthy of that, that message of the gospel, that you and I would live out our lives worthy of the gospel. And so when we look at that word worthy, it tells us something very important. Worth or worthy, the value of something, how much something costs, or specifically here in this context is what Paul says how much something really matters. How much does the gospel really matter to you in your life? Is it valuable? Or is it kind of like a take it or leave it type thing? Paul says, I want you to value it, to treasure it, to walk worthy of the gospel. You see, the implication of this exhortation is that some in the Philippian church here were not walking worthily because that's why he had to say it. He says, I want you to walk this way. I want you to live these things out, to actually live out the gospel. And in this context, I believe that Christians were being persecuted for the gospel because he clearly says here, he says, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And he says, I want you to know the things that have happened to me have happened for what? For the advancement of the gospel. He says, here I am, I am under house arrest and the gospel's going forward. And he says the same thing, look what he says here, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. He says, you're engaged in this just like me. And he says, I want you to know that even under times of persecution and distraught and where it seems like you even despair of life, he says, I want you to walk worthy of the gospel that it has value, that it has meaning. And I believe that these Philippian believers were being tempted to compromise their beliefs and their lifestyle because of difficulties that they were having in life. You know, I believe likewise, we are also being tempted to walk in an unworthy manner 
by the world, our flesh, and the devil. We must always demonstrate the extreme worth of the gospel. The fact that Christ saved us from this world, that he has saved us from sin, that he has saved us from Satan and death, and most importantly, he even saved you from yourself. I want you to notice how many times Paul uses the word gospel here in Philippians chapter one. Go ahead and mark them in your Bible. Look at verse number five. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel. Look at verse number seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Look at verse number 12. He says here, that is served to the advance of the gospel. Look at verse number 16. He says that they do it uh, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Look at verse number 27. He mentions gospel twice. He says here about let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that I may see that you are standing, striving by one mind, one spirit, side by side for the faith of the gospel. Also, Paul speaks about the gospel in other ways. For example, in verse number 14, he uses the word to speak the word of God. Verse number 15, he talks about preaching Christ. Verse 17, proclaiming Christ. Verse 18, that Christ is proclaimed. Verse 20, now as always, Christ will be honored. Verse 21, to live is Christ. You see, this was Paul's focus. It was the gospel. And he says, I want you to walk a life worthy of the gospel. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And this is what he wanted the Philippians to focus on, and this is what we should focus on as well. You see, Paul places much emphasis on the gospel, and we must be clear on what Paul means by the faith of the gospel. By the faith, we're talking about this faith that has been delivered to us, that was handed down. How did you hear about the gospel? Somebody told you about it. How did they hear about the gospel? Somebody told them about it. And it has been handed down and handed down and handed down on and on and on and on and on it goes. And he says, I want you to walk worthy of that. And when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the core doctrines which are essential to that. You see, without these essential truths, the gospel is no longer the gospel. In fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 15, Paul reminds those believers that there were there at Corinth about the gospel. And he says in uh, verse number one, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. And he tells us what that is. I delivered to you as first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins and according with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. And so Paul says that Christ died for our sins. When we talk about the gospel, the faith of that gospel, we must walk in accordance to that. It must have value, must have worth. You see, the gospel is revealed in the scripture, tells us who Christ is, that he is both eternal God, who alone can atone for sin and fully human, capable of human death and thus is an acceptable substitute for our sins. The gospel as is revealed in scripture gives us the central truth about the work of Christ, that he died for our sins as our substitute. 
You see, anyone who denies the essential nature of the substitutionary work of Christ is denying the gospel. The gospel, as is revealed in Scripture, also affirms the fallen condition of the human race, that we are sinners and in need of a Savior. Anyone who teaches the basic goodness of human nature is denying the gospel because good people don't need a Savior. They just need a good example, a little encouragement to improve themselves. If we don't need a Savior, then Jesus died for no reason. So it's real important for us to know what the gospel is, to know what Jesus tells us here, that the gospel is important. Sad to say, but I believe that there are many churches, many, many people, pastors, teachers, who are not teaching the gospel today. They're giving things with help, self-help messages. They're tickling the ears. They're giving people what they want to hear. But the gospel is very true, and it tells us exactly what we are. The gospel comes to us by grace through faith apart from any human merit or works as what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. For by grace you save through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so if you by faith have believed the gospel and been saved, then we have a purpose and a calling on our lives. And that is to walk worthy of that message that has been delivered to us. Are we conducting our lives in such a way that we live in a manner that honors Christ and his sacrifice for us? How do we know that? Well, Paul actually answers that question for us. Look again in verse number 27. Notice the phrase, manner of life. He says, if you know Christ, you're to walk worthy of the gospel. And he says, it's done by the manner of your life. This literally means live as citizens. Citizens of what? Of Rome? I mean, in fact, the Philippian believers, I mean, they were living in a Roman area. He says, Do I, are you supposed to live as a citizen of Rome? No, he's talking about living as citizens of heaven. Listen, church, us as believers, this is not our home. We should not get entangled in all the things that the world has to offer. We have a far better country that we should be seeking after. And Paul says, I want you to live as a citizen of heaven. I want you to live a life worthy of the gospel, to live heavenly, to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. We should live differently than those around us who are citizens of this earth. Our lives must be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We seek to please our heavenly emperor, our heavenly father, and to live by his laws as revealed in the word. We should seek to conform our character to Christ. We should live for a different purpose instead of living for the things of this world. We live for the kingdom of God. We should be marked by different moralities. We should display different character qualities, the fruit of the Spirit, instead of living for self as the world does. We live for Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 2 says this, 
do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does God want for our lives? He doesn't want us to live like the world any longer. So if you're saved, if you know Christ, God has called you to live a life worthy of the gospel. That means that you change the way that you used to live. You no longer live like the world does. As Paul said there in Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed. Don't be pressed into the mold that the world is trying to press you into. He says, live differently. Colossians 3, 7 through 9 says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Paul exhorted Timothy to not only flee evil desires, but to pursue righteousness. He said in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, walking worthy of the gospel does not mean that you're perfect because none of us are. It means, are you pursuing after Christ? Are you pursuing after the character of Christ? Are you seeking to repent of sin and start walking in the new ways that God has called you to walk? And if there's a struggle there in your life, if, there's, if you're struggling where it just seems like you take a couple steps forward and then you take one step back and then you take a couple more steps forward and you take another step back, that's good because you're moving forward. None of us are perfect, but we have to be striving for the gospel. We have to be choosing to walk worthy of our calling that God has called us to be, new creation in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel has made us citizens of heaven and we must live in a manner that represents that. We should constantly be changing our thinking, getting rid of wrong attitudes and sin in our life. We must pursue godly character as a citizen of heaven. You see, Christ purchased our heavenly citizenship and it would be dishonoring to him and his gospel to live in disregard to that. Think of all the sin that you have committed in your life. And yet all of that sin, as ugly and as disgusting as it is, was placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he bore that. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And to live in any other way, to give no regard to that sacrifice, is dishonoring to Christ and the message of the gospel. So make your life worthy of the gospel. Look at the second thing here. Stand firm and strive together for the gospel. Notice what Paul says here again in verse 27. He says, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side 
for the faith of the gospel. Notice a couple things about this, that they are standing firm in one spirit for the faith of the gospel, and secondly, that they are of one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See how it's all centered around the gospel? I cannot overemphasize this enough. It's about the gospel. It is central to all of our Christian life. Paul knew this as well. So what do we learn from all of this? Well, it should be our purpose to stand firm in one spirit and of one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We are to stand firm and strive for the faith of the gospel. This is what we've been called to. Do you and I take a stand for the gospel? Think about that. Do you take a stand for the gospel in your workplace, around those who you know, in your home? Do you take a stand for the gospel? In the early church, there were many attacks on the gospel just as there are today. In the church of Colossae, for example, a cult was uh, attacking the deity of Christ. That is why Paul had to teach in Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and for him. Later on, he says that he was the image of the invisible God. In the Corinthian church, some were teaching that there was no resurrection at all, as he said in 1 Corinthians 15. In the Galatian church, some were teaching that salvation came by a matter of works, as what he said in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. You see, cults were always attacking the message of the gospel, and they are still attacking the message of the gospel today. We have attacks of salvation by works. Some teach salvation comes by faith plus works. We have attacks on the exclusivity of the gospel. Some teach that Christ is just one of many ways. And, you know, your way not be my way and his way not be my way. But, hey, we're all going to wind up in the same place. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Some teach that salvation, that God is going to grant salvation to everybody and anybody in the end. Some have attacked the, the very need for salvation by saying that there is really no judgment at all. There's no such thing as hell. Many attack the foundation of the gospel primarily by attacking the reliability of the word of God, saying that we cannot trust the word of God, that it's full of errors. You see, these attacks are real and they're always around. And it doesn't matter if there's a pastor or a teacher that has the names church, Christian church on their sign, and they get up words, say, using words such as God, Jesus, gospel, Bible. If they are not teaching the truth of God's word, they are attacking the gospel. I don't care how much they smile on TV. Hey, God loves you. We have to be very clear about what God's word has to say. And so we see attacks on the gospel today. We also see today an attack on the gospel through the prosperity gospel message that God wants you to be healthy, happy, and rich. We see an attack on the gospel message today which is ingrained with a self-esteem message you're all that. You're wonderful. 
These are attacks on the gospel. So how are we to stand and strive for the gospel? Notice Paul's words here, striving together. This phrase is the word which we get our word athlete. Paul commonly used athletic illustrations in his teaching throughout the word of God. I'll give you the references. You can look them up yourself. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Ephesians 6, 12, 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 2 Timothy 2, verse number five. And here though, Paul in Philippians, what he's talking about striving together, he calls for them to work together as an athletic team for the faith of the gospel. One of the sports that I do enjoy watching, not necessarily on TV, I like watching it in person, is the game of basketball. Because you have these guys there on the court and you see how they are working together to get that ball in the basket. Now, John's not here this morning, but John is a, uh, is a coach over at uh, uh, Northridge High School. And I'm sure if you were to go to some of the practices where John is, uh, is coaching over there, I'm sure you'd probably see him coaching those young men to work together as athletes, to work together, to help each other. Look for a place where you can pass the ball. See where you can shoot it over here. See if somebody's open. They're working together for an end goal. Because my last name is Bird, many times people ask me, are you related to Larry Bird? How many of you know who Larry Bird is? Yeah, he's getting kind of old now. But uh, Larry Bird, man, what a fantastic basketball player. Uh, it was said of him that Larry Bird had 5,695 assists in his basketball career. He averaged 6.3 assists average per game. It means he was helping other people. He was assisting them to get that ball into the hoop. That's pretty amazing. But do you know who holds the most assists in their basketball career? John Stockton. 15,806 assists. That's pretty amazing. So when Paul says we are striving together, we're working together, he's saying that we work together despite our differences in personality, despite our differences in abilities, our likes and dislikes. We are on the same team. All of us are. If you know Christ as your Savior, we are on the same team. And the whole purpose of it is that we are doing this for the faith of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. So are we working together for the gospel? Think about it, just in our church here, of us, the believers here, are we working together for the gospel? Paul emphasizes this with these phrases he does in verse 27. Look what he says, one spirit, one mind. There's a unity that is emphasized there. Do we pray collectively for each other to stand firm? Do we encourage each other to continue to be transformed by the message of the gospel? Now, just a word of caution. There's a lot of an emphasis today, I believe, within the church that we should break down every doctrinal difference between professing Christians to proclaim our unity in Christ. Now, 
We might have differences on secondary things, but when it comes to essential core beliefs about the gospel, we should never join forces with other believers who do not hold to the essential core doctrines of the gospel because it will confuse the message of the gospel. So be very careful what you allow, what kind of teaching you allow into your life. So stand firm, strive together for the gospel. Let's look at the last thing here. Receive the gift of suffering. If we are not to forget our calling, we must remember also that we have been given a gift of suffering. Now that seems a little odd, doesn't it? That you were given a gift of suffering. God gives you the gift of suffering. But take notice in Paul's words here in verses 28 through 30. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Did you see it there? Verse 29, it has been granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer. We really don't take those words to heart, do we? Granted to suffer. How do you think it made those believers at Philippi look at their lives? Look at the context of what Paul is saying here in this passage. He's calling for us to live a life worthy of the gospel message. He's saying, I want you to live as citizens. So here's these Philippian believers. They're gonna live as citizens of heaven. They're gonna start taking a stand for Jesus. They're gonna start renouncing sin in their life. They're gonna start living a righteous life and guess what's gonna come into their lives? Persecution. And he says, don't be, don't be frightened by this when this happens. And it's the same thing for us, believers. When we decide that we're gonna start taking the message of the gospel serious in our lives, and we start applying the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ to our lives, and we start repenting of the sin that is in our lives as God reveals it, and we decide we're gonna start walking a righteous life, living a righteous life, living a holy life, don't be surprised when persecution comes. Don't be surprised when you start suffering as a believer in Christ. Paul says that all of this, don't be surprised. Don't be frightened in anything by them. You see, I believe that for some reason, Christians are often surprised when people don't like them. The word here is what he says, uh, frightened is the word alarm. Don't be alarmed was used in a way of, of startling a horse rearing in fright. Don't be, oh, yo, I didn't expect that. He says, don't be frightened by that. Don't be alarmed when that happens. Why? Because our side is going to win. We know the outcome, don't we? You see, the same God who granted faith for you to believe has also given you another gift, and that is the gift of suffering. Twice, Paul emphasizes that we suffer for Christ's sake, as he says here in verse 29. And if Christ, the Son of God, suffered, and if Paul, the great apostle, the Gentiles suffered, 
then we're in good company if we suffer for the sake of the gospel as well. As what Paul says here in verse number 30, look what he says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. You see, someday soon God will save us and will condemn those who persecute his church. Stand confidently for the Lord, rest in him knowing that it has been granted for you to suffer for him if you live righteously, if you live a life worthy of the gospel, if you stand for Christ and stand for the gospel. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church. Thank you.